You're listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, where I'm here to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Hello, you guys, and welcome back to the podcast. As I'm recording this, I am outside on the deck getting my free medicine, my vitamin D. I started my D-Minder app, which is the app that I use to track my vitamin D levels. And it's really helpful because it takes in the account, your altitude, your already vitamin D level, if you know it, and it's just super helpful. So I use that to personally track my vitamin D progress. You'll probably hear the wind chimes in the background, which as you guys know, or may not know, the wind chimes are very therapeutic to me. I apologize if you don't enjoy them, but to me, they are my mom and her showing her presence and I love them. So you can enjoy the little nature sound of the wind chime in the background. And if you don't enjoy it, like I said, I apologize, but the wind chimes aren't going anywhere. And even when I'm inside, I feel like we can still hear them. It just might be a little bit more pronounced here, but it's just my mom. She's just popping in to say hi and that she wants you all to be the alpha of your health. So in today's episode, I'm going to be answering some commonly asked questions that I got in a story question box that I did. I love answering the questions that you guys ask. However, in my stories, I can only answer so many of them. And I feel like on my podcast, I can definitely be a lot more thorough, which is, of course, where I like to do. Sometimes I I think I've said this before, but I just sometimes feel anxious because sometimes I just can't answer them super thoroughly. So I really enjoy answering them here. So I'm going to start with uh, this question from Alexis. What products routine do you use to protect your dog against fleas, ticks, and worms? So when we got Tala, we were using topical flea and tick as well as we also did internal. And after kind of really doing some research, I'm just not comfortable using anti or essentially pesticides and herbicides on my dog. However, I do really greatly understand the importance of not wanting her to get bit by a tick or have fleas, you know, and have natural repellent from mosquitoes and stuff like that when we're in the woods. So I, we personally use more natural things. Um, there's a really great book. I have it on my book story highlight. It's called the forever dog. It's amazing. And there's a lot of really great resources in there on things that you can do internally and topically to protect from those things. But topically, we use different essential oil blends. Sometimes I make them. There's a brand I'm not affiliated or associated with. I just found them and I really like them. They are called Kin and Kind. They have, I got their shampoo and their spray, but essentially it's just made from essential oils. It's got castor oil. It's got, I believe some maybe witch hazel, lavender, citronella, cedarwood, all simple things that you can make at home. I actually have a post on my Instagram story feed as well, which I would pull up right now, but I have all the questions pulled up. Um, But I can link it in the show notes if that would be helpful for you guys. But we use a lot of lavender, cedarwood, citronella, and just kind of make our own little at-home bug sprays, and they definitely work really well. So 
there's definitely natural things that you can do. And it's really important as well to just make sure you're protecting them from the inside out as well, because if they do get bit by something, you know, you just want to make sure their immune system is supported. So the natural stuff so far works pretty good for us. We just have to remember to use it. Okay. Tips on regulating the nervous system in your experience and opinion. So the nervous system is an amazing system. It's essentially what chiropractic is based around. And the nervous system fluctuates between sympathetic, parasympathetic, and then we kind of have somewhere in between. And a lot of us in our day-to-day life, we are functioning in sympathetic. And sympathetic mode for your nervous system is fight or flight. That's We're running from the tiger. We're slamming on the brakes going to work. We're trying to eat something and answer a million emails. We are not in the opposite mode, which would be rest and digest. So rest and digest is your parasympathetic mode. That's where we heal. That's where we are able to, like it says, rest and digest. We're able to heal, rest up, repair, digest. Our body can't digest when we're in a stress state. And I emphasize this a lot with my patients and people that I work with, because especially for people who struggle with bloating, Of course, we're going to struggle with bloating when our body is constantly in that sympathetic state. So what are some things to bring us out of that sympathetic state into parasympathetic? So a lot of these are free, cheap, and easy. You just have to be mindful to do it. So diaphragmatic breathing or belly breathing is a really great way because you are activating the diaphragm, which is connected to the vagus nerve, which the vagus nerve is cranial nerve 10. And it's a nerve that comes out of your brain and connects to various parts of your body. Certain nerves have sympathetic activity. Certain nerves have parasympathetic activity. The vagus nerve has parasympathetic activity. So it's very helpful for getting you in that autonomic or parasympathetic nervous state. So belly breathing is a great way to activate that. Many of us are chest breathers. Many of us are short and shallow breathers. We are not breathing through the belly. So I just find myself naturally now doing this multiple times throughout the day, even when I'm If I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed, I just find that now my body goes to this to bring myself out of that state. So belly breathing is great. Meditating is great. Obviously, sometimes when we're in the middle of traffic, we don't have maybe the luxury to meditate, but we always have the luxury to belly breathe. Just simply changing your breath from short and shallow to using your diaphragm and your belly as a cylinder great way to activate that parasympathetic and you can feel it almost immediately and just taking a deep breath. Another great thing too is having longer exhales than you do inhales. So if you're breathing in for three, you're breathing out for five or six seconds. You can kind of count that in your head and you can always pair that with diaphragmatic breathing. So those are, I think breath is probably my best tip for regulating the nervous system just because of how simple it can be and we can do it wherever we are as long as we're mindful of it. So the next question, constantly elevated blood sugar. I don't feel any of the symptoms. So we don't necessarily feel high symptoms with, sorry, we don't necessarily feel symptoms with high blood sugar. We typically feel symptoms with low blood sugar. So high blood sugar, we can be in the 200s and be feeling fine. But when it goes down into maybe if 90s low for you, 80 70s, that dip that we have following high blood sugar, that's where we feel the symptoms. That's where we feel shaky. That's where we might feel dizzy. We might even feel nauseous. You feel those cravings, like you feel instant hangriness, right? That's what we, that's what we call it. And those are symptoms of blood sugar dips. So 
yes, we don't typically feel high blood sugar. And so some people don't realize how high their blood sugar is getting until they realize, oh, I'm hungry an hour after I ate that, or I feel shaky, I feel weak. That's the low blood sugar symptoms indicating that you just had high blood sugar. So important to note that you definitely want to make sure your meals are balanced. And even just the order in which you eat is really important. Eating your protein and fiber before you're eating your carbs, like your more starchy carbs and fruits, that's so important. Not eating you know, carbs just completely by themselves because that's, of course, just going to give you a blood sugar spike and you're going to be hungry within 30 minutes to an hour. So really even just working on pairing your meals and then you can get more advanced and, you know, maybe adding something in like apple cider vinegar or potentially other things that might help blunt your blood sugar spike. Walking is a really great tool or just any form of movement, but I tell a lot of my patients just go for a 10 to 15 minute walk after a meal. You don't have to do it every meal. If you have the luxury where you can move around a little bit after every meal, that's excellent. But if you don't, don't stress it. Maybe just try to do it after one meal or definitely after a meal that you feel was heavier. Um, let's see. Let's see what's the next question I want to work with. Okay. Oh, this is an interesting question. Work provides a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse for desktop computer. Should I switch to wired? So that's a good question. So I do I do speculate on all of the Bluetooth things that we're always exposed to because of, you know, all that they might be emitting. So if you have the option for wired, I mean, why not for something like a mouse or keyboard? Like I don't I I, I think that it's only more beneficial. And then if you are wearing Bluetooth devices, just making sure that you're turning them off whenever you're not using them, turning them off at night, you know, ways that you can cut it down. But if you find that your Bluetooth keyboard works for you during the day, maybe it's not the end of the world. Maybe you just make sure that you're, you're minimizing other sources of EMF. You're not having your phone directly next to you, things like that. Um, this question says, do you ever detox heavy metals? If so, how often? So I don't necessarily, I guess, go right towards heavy metals. I think of, okay, what are, what are obviously sources that heavy metals can come in? Obviously heavy metals are found in our water. They're found in our soil. They're found in cert higher in certain foods, especially like peas and rice. Um, so then I think of like plant-based protein, which that was actually a question that I'm going to get to that Haley asked thoughts on plant-based protein. So I'm going to just come back to that but so heavy metals to a point are some some are naturally occurring just within the earth and then some are obviously more naturally in quotes occurring because of the world that we live in they're coming with they're you're you know they're coming off of like different nuclear power plants you know planes our modern lifestyle they're just starting to now accumulate in certain things so we have to see okay how can we kind of minimize our exposure when we can but then I also think okay what are heavy metals what do they attach onto and a lot of times heavy metals are attaching into parasites parasites have a very high affinity for heavy metals in the body so I don't necessarily like to just go in and heavy metal detox I like to make sure your detox pathways are open make sure that your body is able to get rid of what it needs to getting rid of parasites is the first and foremost and then you can go in and get rid of any other heavy metals which you can usually see those in like something like a hair tissue mineral analysis so you can definitely look out for those but that's kind of a loaded question, and it really, I think, depends on the situation, what you're exposed to. There's a lot of talk on those TRS sprays. I've never used them. I've, I've heard, I guess, and read stories that they do work wonders for people. However, 
I'm not particularly a fan because it's not addressing the detox pathways. It's and and I just I'm not really just a fan of like chelating heavy metals without addressing other areas. Okay, Sammy said, just got diagnosed with Hashimoto's. Where do I start to heal my body? So with thyroid, stress is so important. And stress, I made a post on this on my Instagram today. Stress comes in many different forms. It's not just mental and emotional. However, that's really important. When people are have experienced a lot of stress and trauma and cortisol in their life, that's just a a really great storm for something like underactive thyroid or even Hashimoto's to occur. Um in terms of where to start when healing your body, you want to get rid of any inflammation. Um, with Hashimoto's, there's a you really, really because it's autoimmune component. You there's a lot of great research supporting getting rid of gluten. So being on a gluten-free diet, which then people are like, oh my god, what can I eat? Well, really, you can eat everything that's whole food based because pretty much everything that's whole food based is naturally gluten-free. So just and then you know for things that are more processed. There are better alternatives out there. I just found a really good gluten-free sourdough bread, Young Cobras. I'm really liking it. For people who do want a a sourdough bread, for people who do want a healthier option for a bread with good clean ingredients, I really like that one a lot. Um, But anyways, I think gluten-free and really healing any intestinal inflammation, healing and just bringing down that immune response in general is really important because you don't want your body to continue attacking your thyroid. So I think gluten is really important. Healing up the gut, adding in things like bone broth, um, high glutamine rich foods, high collagen rich foods to make sure that gut lining is sealed is going to be really important. And then, and then really doing your due diligence to see where is the stress coming from? Is it environmental? Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it trauma? And then being able to deal with that. Good question on cortisol, best ways to manage high cortisol. So I think it's important for cortisol. We need to think about why, what is cortisol telling us? Cortisol, or sorry, (laughs) cholesterol is a messenger. Best ways to manage high cholesterol. That was a question. Cholesterol is a messenger. So we think of cholesterol as bad, right? Like we've got a bad cholesterol and a good cholesterol. HDL is the good typically or conventionally. I mean, it is, it is a good cholesterol. That's a good one we want to have. But a lot of people say that LDL is bad. Well, LDL isn't inherently bad. It's there for a reason. I think of it as a firefighter. Firefighters show up to a fire, but firefighters aren't the bad ones who, they're not, they didn't start it. They're there to help. And I think of LDL in that case. LDL is there for a reason. There's actually a lot of studies that somewhat higher than conventional LDL can be very protective against diseases long term. So I think that's interesting. But I always look at triglycerides. Are your triglycerides under 100? That's ideally where you want them. Because if triglycerides are low and everything else is in within a good range, it could be normal. Because if you're eating a lot of healthy fat, your LDL might be a little higher just because you have more cholesterol floating around. But how are your triglycerides? How is your HDL? How is your glucose? There's a lot to kind of go within that story. Okay, so you just want to kind of maybe take a look at your labs, look at those, look and see what your liver enzymes do because cholesterol has a really big liver component. And that's why we sometimes see high cholesterol in people with things like Hashimoto's or low thyroid because the liver is often sluggish with low thyroid as as many things can be sluggish. And so it's not necessarily the cholesterol's fault. It's the liver and metabolism's root cause issue that they're sluggish. So we need to work on speeding those up. So there's a lot of stuff that can go into that. Tracy asked prebiotic versus probiotic. So 
Prebiotic is essentially the things that are feeding the probiotics. So probiotics are the living organisms that are, they're on our skin, they're in our gut, they're all within our body, but most of the, where they should be, should be focused in the large intestine. Prebiotics are the foods that we are eating that are feeding those good gut microbiome. So prebiotic pretty much can be any healthy fiber, whole food, uh, fruit, veggie, starch, fiber, all of those are going to be great. When I think of really good pro prebiotics, I think of things like asparagus. I think of things like ripe, uh, sorry, not ripe, the opposite of ripe, more the more green bananas. Those have really good resistant starches and prebiotic fibers. I think of things like certain leafy greens because those are going to help give your gut microbiome fuel and feed them. So that's why I'm also a really big fan of switching up the foods that you eat so that your probiotics, your good gut microbiome has constant variation in fuel and food that it is able to eat, which is very beneficial. Help with melasma. So when I think of melasma, I think of, okay, a lot of people get it with hormone shifts. Um, a lot of people can get it when starting birth control, because of the synthetic hormones, and a lot of people can get it with pregnancy with the different hormonal shifts that are occurring. But why is it occurring? Some people actually get it with iron accumulation. So if they are supplementing with iron, I'm a huge fan of bioavailable iron because bioavailable iron that is found in liver or beef is occurring with every other vitamin and mineral that needs to be there was when we supplement with just iron, it tends to lead to iron accumulation in the body. For me personally, I found that when I was cooking with a lot of cast iron on a daily basis, I did find that my melasma was harder to cure. Whereas now I think we only cook in our cast iron maybe three to four times a month, which I used to be a huge fan of cast iron and I still am for maybe people who don't have melasma. But for me, I was noticing, I don't know if this is anecdotal or what, but I did notice, yes, I've been healing my hormones. Yes, I've been healing my gut. I've been doing so many things, but I was always cooking my eggs in a little mini cast iron every single day. And my melasma continued to come back in the sun, which the sun will make it worse because sun is increasing melanin in your skin and melasma is hyperpigmentation in certain areas. So Look at the sources of iron in your diet. I eat a ton of beef. We eat a ton of liver. That does not make my melasma worse. But for some reason, cooking out of a cast iron, I did notice a positive difference. You could also do things topically like light peels, like glycolic and lactic acid to help exfoliate. Doing things like vitamin C, which is naturally brightening. All of those can be helpful topically with melasma. And if you are having a melasma flare, I recommend keeping it covered with SPF so that it doesn't get worse. I had to do that a lot last summer so that it wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't get any darker. However, this summer, I don't know, I've done a lot of healing and my melasma is a lot better. And so I don't have to cover it. I actually, knock on wood, don't notice it. But dietary wise, it's really important. You want to make sure you have a, you aren't overloaded with estrogen because high estrogen can cause melasma. So there's kind of some different places that you can look to see what's kind of going on. Lex asked, thoughts on drinking aloe vera juice? Can't tell if it's a trend or if it has real benefits. Huge fan of aloe. Aloe is a whole food that we can put into a juice. And it's amazingly, it's a, it has amazing benefits for reducing gut inflammation. And because when you're drinking it, 
you're, it's able to reduce the inflammation from your mouth all the way down. So it's, it can benefit, especially a lot of people with GERD or acid reflux. Aloe vera juice is really beneficial. I really like drinking it you know, once or twice a day, just an ounce. You really just need a shot of it. It's really good if you put some lemon juice in it. And um, I, I, I don't, it might be a trend, but that's a trend that I can get down with because it's super anti-inflammatory. It's a really great whole food based option for decreasing inflammation, helping to support GERD and acid reflux, bringing down any sort of gut inflammation and helping with people's gut journey. And it's a really great and easy way to do it. It's also really great for constipation and just promoting healthy bowel movements. So I love that. I love that question. And I like that trend. I can totally get on with it. Okay. Has anyone ever had problems or issues worsening after parasite cleansing because I'm scared. So when I think it's important to know that when we're healing, sometimes symptoms can get worse. When you're detoxing, sometimes, you know, you can notice things on your skin come up like because your body's trying to push things out. Sometimes you can notice worsening and breakout. Sometimes you can notice a little bit worsening and bloating or sometimes die off symptoms, which in the case of parasites, you know, can be abdominal cramping, maybe some like diarrhea or looser stool. However, when you're doing, when you're supporting your body and your detox pathways, those things are much less common. However, it is important to know that healing is not linear and healing isn't always glamorous and perfect. And sometimes depending on how much we need to heal, we can experience those symptoms. How, And like I said before, and I continue to reiterate, it's really important to work with someone and make sure that you're not working too quickly through a detox to make sure that you're able to mitigate those symptoms and that you're able to support your body so that it's minimal and that you're doing whatever it can so that, that your body is able to you know, process the healing. When I worked through my first parasite cleanse, I, I did it very gently and I didn't notice. I did notice a little rash on my face that lasted for about three to five days, it went away. When I did some more liver support, I didn't notice a huge increase in acne. If anything, I found that for me, parasite cleansing only helped support acne breakouts. Um, but then when I did my last parasite cleanse, I did it a lot higher dose because I was more experienced. I had done it before. I knew my detox pathways are open and I felt some symptoms. I felt definitely some die-off symptoms. I felt some, some definitely stomach or intestinal pains from die off, but I, that was expected because of high dose, how high dose I was. And the benefits that I reap from being able to do those things, in my opinion, are so much more worth the symptoms. However, I'm very pro-informed consent. And if you know that sometimes symptoms might get worse before they get better, that's not the case in everybody. But if that's not worth it to you, then that's okay. It's just important to know those things are possible because healing is it's a roller coaster, ups and downs, but we, ha but sometimes we have to push through those things in order to get to the other side. And I will tell you that it is very worth it. Um, let's see. Is extra virgin olive oil bad? Not, not inherently. No, if you can get a really pure, high quality extra virgin olive oil that does, is not cut with any other inflammatory oils, that can be a really great option. Just with olive oil, I would say that you just don't need or want it to be in plastic and you don't want to cook with it on high heat because olive oil has a very low smoke point. So I would say it's great for salads or 
putting it on food that has already been cooked, drizzling, drizzling it on things and not applying it to high heat. Megan asked, can you get pregnant with PCOS? 100%. PCOS is totally reversible through diet and lifestyle. I've done it in hundreds of different people before to be able to get them pregnant, even when their doctors told them it's not possible. You just have to bring the body back into balance. When you, when we are seeing issues with fertility or struggling hormonal issues, it's just a sign that something is not right and balanced in your body. And when you get it, when you can support it, when you can make sure it's nourished, when you can balance those root causes, the body is seriously capable of absolutely amazing things. Then there was another question on tips for healing PCOS naturally. I did a podcast with Danny Hamilton back last year, so I would definitely listen to that one. And um, I'd say for PCOS, you want to definitely think about reducing inflammation, balancing blood sugar being the number one thing. Even if you're a thin individual and you're not overweight, that does not mean that you don't have issues with blood sugar balancing because high blood sugar is going to cause high testosterone, which testosterone can aromatase or turn into high estrogen. And it can completely be a cascade of inflammatory events. So balancing blood sugar is so incredibly important. That's why lower carb diets tend to work very therapeutically well for PCOS and regaining better insulin resistant or insulin sensitivity. And then you can work to slowly add carbs in that work for you. And again, it's lower carb. It's not necessarily no carb. Sometimes people do benefit from keto, but I even just start with lower carb and more balanced blood sugar. Um, sometimes you, you know, taking, making sure you're taking time in between meals. I think all of those are very, very important. Thoughts on prenatal and postnatal and infant chiropractic care. Huge fan because obviously I'm a chiropractor. I'm biased. So I've helped a lot of pregnant moms, um, both within my clinic experience and then now within my practice. And it's just so rewarding because that's a time where all you're trying to do is just make sure mom's comfortable, get her out of pain as much as possible. And we can do so very naturally and effectively. And especially for infants, it's chiropractic care can be incredibly beneficial. There's been cases, so many cases where whether they can't stop crying and fussing and you're able to help and align the thoracic spine. You can, I've seen babies stop crying instantly. Uh, if they're having issues with constipation, you can work on the pelvic region and sometimes they poop their, poop their diapers right there on the table. It's, it's crazy how beneficial chiropractic care can be for infants and uh, prenatal and postnatal care for mom as well. Uh, this will be the last question that I'm going to answer. Parasite cleansing while pregnant? Absolutely not. You do not want to be doing any sort of detox while you're pregnant. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely not. So no parasite cleansing, no heavy metal detoxing, no detoxing whatsoever when you are pregnant. That is what preconception is for because a lot of people really want to do those things, but you don't want to do them when you're pregnant. So a great time to do them is three, six, even sometimes 12 months before you actually want to conceive. So I think that I've done, I've talked about this in my preconception episode, but I don't think sometimes people realize how much you can be supporting your body a year to even two years out prior to having kids. That's the time that you should be parasite cleansing. That's the time that you should be detoxing, it's getting your body back in balance so that when you choose to 
actively be trying to conceive, hopefully you have your body is in much more of a homeostasis. You're getting you've gotten rid of majority of toxins and you're you can still work to lifestyle wise minimize them however you can but you just don't want to actively be detoxing so I hope that you guys found this helpful just a reminder if you enjoy the podcast it would mean so much to me for you to leave a review on whatever platform you listen I know that you can rate on Spotify and I would love to read your review on iTunes if you're enjoying the podcast I love seeing how this benefits you because I just want to continue bringing you guys content that is useful and helpful and applicable to you in your daily life. So thank you guys for partaking in questions. When I put them on my story, it definitely makes it helpful and gives me good ideas on content that I can put out. And I hope that you guys have a great rest of your day. I hope it's sunny wherever you are. And I hope that you're able to soak up and enjoy the weather wherever you might be because nature is medicine, the sun is medicine, and just being outside is medicine. And then it's double medicine when you're listening to a health and educational podcast. So you're just winning for today. And I appreciate you guys. Seriously, so thankful for everyone who takes the time to listen to the podcast. I will get off my soapbox. Have a great rest of your day.